0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Oftentimes there's a, um, a fine line between embarrassment and humiliation, isn't there? Uh, there's a, a fine line that exists between embarrassment and humiliation. I mean, imagine you get up one morning, you're getting ready for work, you get dressed in the dark. Because it's early, and um, and you arrive at work, and an, you know an hour later you're sitting in a meeting, and you um, you cross your legs, and you look down, and you have on one brown shoe and one black shoe, and you recognize that about the same time your colleague also recognizes it in you. There's no hiding, there's no getting away, and you feel that moment like, oh my, <laughs> well, there's no there's nowhere to go, there's nowhere to hide. You just have to own it. Or um, my very first ministry assignment, uh, I was a, a youth pastor, a pastor to teens, and um, one of the one of the teenagers was having surgery. I don't remember what it was, like maybe tonsils removed or appendicitis. I can't remember. It was a, it was it was a scheduled surgery, and and she was to have surgery early in the morning, um, at like uh, you know six thirty. So. I got up early and, and was at the hospital as a, um, you know, a faithful pastor should do, and I went there to see her, and, and I went in, and I could tell she was kind of nervous, and so, you know, I cracked a couple jokes, or whatever, and we were laughing, and had a kind of, a little bit of a, a giddy moment, and, um, a, and about that time, our senior minister came in. His name was Reverend Nicholas. He was a very dignified man, I mean, a very, you know, kind of... You know, very reverend sort of fellow. You know, <laughs> unlike present company, he was he was really dignified. You know, and, and and he walks in. I think even his children called him Reverend Nicholas. I'm not sure, but the, he was that kind of guy. You know what I mean? And, and he came in and he looked. You know, this the the picture of propriety. He had light blue slacks on and a, and a and a gray sport coat and a white shirt and a and a blue tie. He looked. I mean, as I said, the, the picture of dignity, except for one thing, his fly was completely open. And there was nothing you could do, you know, there was no, by the time I got him out of the room, you know, to, um, it was too late, you know, and, uh, and it was just embarrassing. It was, it was you know, one of those moments that it happens to everybody. I hesitate to share this other one, but, um. You can handle it. It was pretty funny. Uh, my friend Teresa told me herself about this, so it, it, it's well uh, worth it. Um, she, my, my friend Teresa is a, um, a legal secretary. Um, uh, she and her husband Brian used to live in the same town that we did, and and, um, and so she worked in one of the downtown tall office buildings with all the lawyers in it, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and it was a busy downtown, not not a small town. It was a, you know a significant sized downtown. And uh, one day she um, she goes to lunch, and so, she takes the elevator down and gets on the onto the, the ground floor and walks out of the building. And it's noon time. There are people all over the street. There is four lanes of traffic with cars all out in front of them. I and mean, it's a busy downtown uh, place. And she's walking just a block down the street to a restaurant. And as she's walking down the street, um, in a dress, high heels, uh one of her thigh-high pantyhose cut loose and fell to the ground. Yeah, she said, I panicked, I didn't know what to do, so I tried to pretend like it didn't happen, and I took another step. And the other one cut loose. I didn't want to think about the mechanics of how that happened, but I, I did kind of imagine the scene as she's walking down, you know, very dignified, very, you know, attractive woman with pantyhose pulling around her ankles as she, she ducks into a pharmacy and, you know, finds a way to rectify the situation, and um, but not before you know this awful, awful moment of embarrassment. You've been there. You've had that moment where you felt like the whole universe was against you, right? You where where you're just you know brought out into this moment of embarrassment. But not all moments of embarrassment are the same. I mean, some. Cross that line, they go from embarrassing, where uh, you know it's sort of in, in matters of degree, right? This this slight uh, pain to your pride into the the the, um, the issue of humiliation. I don't know if you heard about this, but uh, Gilmore Academy uh, girls' high school basketball team just a couple weeks ago played uh, Northeast Ohio College Prep, um, and the girls of uh, uh, of N O C Prep managed to uh, to get twenty eight shots off in the game. And four free throws. Free throws. (laughs) They have four free throws off in the game. Of all the shots they took, they managed to hit only one free throw. Zero shots from the field. They scored one point. Gilmore, on the other hand, scored 108 points. They beat them 108 to 1 in a girls' high school basketball game. How long does that last? 30 minutes, a girls' high school game? I mean, you know, the coach knew. He knew that that there had been a line that was crossed. It went from being an embarrassment to a humiliation. And so reporters were were talking to him, maybe the next day or whatever it was, and he he pleaded with them. He said, at points, we told the girls, let the other team take a shot. You know, don't, don't contest the shot. Just let them take it. And zero would fall. You know that none of them fell for them. They had it was it wasn't for a lack of us trying to allow them to score. Nevertheless, that defeat went beyond being embarrassing. It was humiliating. And you know this. You, you, you know there's this difference. There's this line that crosses between between um between embarrassment and humiliation. You bend over to tie your shoes and your pants up. That's embarrassing, right? Your school teacher knows that you don't know an answer to a question and everybody else does, and she or he calls on you to point out your ignorance in front of your friends. That's humiliating. It's a degree, isn't there? There's a degree of difference between embarrassment and humiliation. Um, Humiliation is often has a greater level of public belittlement as well. And you know what? There are times when a person can be both the victim and the perpetrator in their own humiliation. They can both suffer it and cause it at the same time. Uh, there's such a, uh, an issue today in Jesus' story of the prodigal son. You heard the story, a guy has two sons. He's a rich man, he has money to give away. This is, this is odd in the ancient world. I mean, when Jesus says uh, that the man has inheritance to give... Ears perk up. This must be a wealthy man. He's a landowner, we know. Um, And so uh, one of his sons says to him, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. And in the next sentence, the the father hands it over. There's no debate. There's no uh, argument about it. It just is a rather rather quick transaction. Father, I'd like my share of the inheritance. And the father gives it to him. But everyone who would have been listening to Jesus' story right then would have been aghast. They would have known. We don't have all the details, but we know enough to know that no loving son would ever make this request of his father. Give me my share of the inheritance is, um, is saying not just I want to leave, but, but I wish you were dead. Listen to what uh, Joel Green, he's a New Testament scholar, says, It is at this point that the younger son's shocking breach of familial ties surfaces dramatically. I wish I wasn't a member of this family. You see, this isn't, Father, give me my share of the inheritance, I want to go on a holiday. Or, you know, Father, give me my share of the inheritance, I'd like to go off to university. Or even, I I want to take a, you know, I want to go see some old friends. This is, I wish you were dead. I hate you. I hate everything about you. I I wish that I was never part of this family. I just wish I had enough money to get away from you. This is shocking. It's it's unbelievable. It's it's embarrassing. You're almost embarrassed if you were in the first century and you heard that Jesus tell the story. You would feel embarrassed for the younger son. You know that you ever get that feeling where you're embarrassed for somebody like you haven't done anything embarrassing, but you watch them do something embarrassing. Like you ever watch The Office with Steve Carell? You know, back when it was on. Like it would make you just feel like oh, you know, you felt embarrassed for him. You know, or. Or the gorilla comes into the office and does a singing telegram and you're like, Oh my, I just feel embarrassed for you and for the person who's getting... That's that sort of feeling. That's what you get with the younger son. Um, Let me read this. Can I I read this a little bit more about it? In verse 13, Jesus said this not many days later after he had made this request. The younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. There he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed the pigs. If you were a conservative Jew, listening to this story, there would be like all sorts of cringeworthy moments at what Jesus just said. The man moves, to, the younger son, moves to a faraway country. Jews wanted to live in the land. I mean, they still want to live in the land, right? To take your, your wealth and to move away into a faraway country means to leave your family, your faith community, uh, the, the gift that God had given you, and to go live with pagans. Nobody would have thought this was a good idea. Everybody would have thought, this is a horrible person. He's an awful person. And how did he spend his money? Reckless living. Did you hear what his older brother said later on? This son of yours spent your money on prostitutes? This is what reckless living is like, right? He spent all of his money on reckless living, so much so that he went to work feeding the pigs. If you have an Orthodox Jewish friend, please do not offer them a bacon sandwich, okay? BLTs are not on the diet, alright? Don't say we're having pork tenderloin. Come over tomorrow night. They will not be impressed with you. All right? Jews do not have anything to do with pork. It's a, it's a, a an unclean meat. And here you have this boy feeding the pigs, we're wanting to eat pig food. It's beyond embarrassing. It's humiliating. But who else suffers? in this humiliation? Just the boy? Is it just a case where we're worried about him? Where we're saying, you know, you're you're embarrassing, you're humiliating yourself, you're awful. It's not just him, is it? It's the family. The family suffers too when the son does this. You've known the family whose whose child, you know, had a severe drug problem. um, Who uh, became, you know... A worker in an unsavory field uh, who, who went out and did some pretty uh, awful thing, who, who cheered for the University of Michigan. You know, kids who do kind of crazy, bad things, right? And it embarrasses the whole family. Everybody kind of suffers at that. And this is what's happening with this kid he's, he's, he's embarrassed, he's humiliated his father and his brother, his neighborhood, everything. But as luck would have it, as luck would have it, he spent all his money and a famine came along and he had nowhere to work. And so he decides, I'm going to go home, ask for a job. You know, I know I won't get my old room back. I know I can't sit at the family dinner table anymore. I, I, I can't go back to that. But my, my dad does hire a lot of people. Maybe he'll put me to work pulling weeds out of the field or maybe he'll... He'll let me, uh, you know, feed the sheep or do something like that. I mean, at least I can have something to eat. And man, you know what? You're longing for this. You come on back because we have a word or two for you, don't we? You little brother who embarrassed the family and embarrassed the community. Verse 20. And he arose, that is the younger son, and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He's a long way off. He's a long way off and his father saw him. Let me ask you a question. How was it that the father noticed him a long way off? Because he was looking for him, wasn't he? He's looking for him. Can you imagine the older brother coming by day after day and here's the father looking off the porch, down the road, across the fields? The older brother saying, What are you looking for? Not that embarrassing son of yours, is it? What are you looking for? Why are you looking for him? Give up on him. He's dead to us. Verse 20, And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is embarrassing. This is humiliating by the Father. He is humiliating Himself. He ran. Do you know, in the ancient world, dignified men would never run in public? Ever. This would be seen to be degrading. The Father runs to Him. You know, I see a kind of portly big father, don't you, you know, with a robe on and it's kind of running behind him? Uh, this, is, this is embarrassing. Neighbors might see. He runs to him, and he, fall, he grabs hold of him, and he, he kisses him. This son who smells like hog, right? And he kisses him. He embraces him. He brings him in. Jesus' audience, who's hearing this story for the first time, are probably running for the trash cans. You know, the morning breakfast is about to come back. You know, we, they, are, they are repulsed by this story. But here's the payoff. Will you take your bulletin and look with me? Look with me at the very first verse. Why does Jesus tell this story? Why does he, why does he tell them this story? Now, the tax collectors and sinners. These are the worst people in the community. Tax collectors they are they're traitors. They are traitors to religion, and they're traitors to nationality. They're not good. They're not good patriots, and they're not good people. They rip people off. They're the worst kind of people in the community, the tax collectors, and then the sinners. That basically covers everybody who won't live as a, as a religious uh, observant person. We're all drawing near to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes, the the, the religious traditionalists, the the, the circumspect careful religious people grumbled saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. There's a question implied, isn't there? (laughs) Why in the world are you hanging out with these people? Jesus, if you're any kind of religious person, why in the world would you spend your time with these people? These are the worst people in the community. They're the worst people in the world. Why, in the name of God, literally, would you spend your time with them? It's humiliating. It's degrading. It's impious. The answer? Because God loves them. Why would I spend time with them? Because God values them. Why would I endure the humiliation of being identified with them? Because God loves them. Application. Real easy on this one, isn't it? Let me give you three. You could probably do a dozen, but at least three. The first one is this. No matter what a person has done, no matter how far they've gone, no matter how rebellious they've been in their life, God still loves them. He cares about us. No matter how far we've gone, we've never gone too far. That God's love doesn't pursue us. Great old hymn written by a, an Anglican in the 18th century. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. My great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King. The triumphs of His grace. The fourth verse, or at least one. It's really a 17 verse song hymn. But one of the verses goes like this. He breaks the power of canceled sin. Talking about Jesus. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. The foulest person clean. How do you know that, Charles Wesley? His blood availed for me. Wesley's saying, I don't care how bad you've been. I was the worst. And if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. This is good news, isn't it? That no one has ever gone so far but that God's love and and grace can reach him. Second thing. If you or I are followers of Jesus, we have to embrace the pattern of Jesus. Right? Right? If we are going to be followers of Jesus, we have to embrace the pattern of Jesus. Which means that we should not be afraid to associate with any person. No matter how humiliating it might be to other people. No matter how they might look at us and think that it's embarrassing that we would be found with them. Why? Because God loves them. Period. If we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to live like Jesus. Third thing. Not only does God's love forgive, it restores, doesn't it? It doesn't just forgive. It doesn't just cancel the debt. Okay, you're off the debt. It it gives gracious abundance. Stick a ring on his finger. Put a robe on his back. Sandals on his feet. Let's have a party. Kill the fatted calf. Let's have a celebration. Call the neighbors. It's time to party and celebrate. This son of mine was dead and he's alive again. You know, we, we've all had moments of embarrassment. Hopefully, when you've had those times, you look back at them, maybe you can even laugh at yourself a little bit. Take yourself a little less seriously. You know, <laughs> alright, yeah, I was a goofball. Um, you know, you sort of do that, right? Um, and, and maybe sometimes, sometimes we've gone beyond embarrassment to humiliation, where we felt humiliated. We know what that feels like too. I want you to think about something. What kind of person would willingly humiliate himself for the sake of someone else? What kind of person would give up his dignity for the sake of another? What kind of person would be willing to be stripped naked in public and nailed to a cross for the sake of someone else? Where people would walk by and laugh and mock and spit at him and all of his dignity be stripped away. Who would do that for the sake of someone else? Someone who loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please stand as we confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed.